0: Fiber friends. Welcome to the Fiber Artist Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's guest is the visionary fiber artist, Eric Bergeron, based in Brooklyn, New York. Eric has an exhibition currently up at the Morris Museum in New Jersey titled The Eight Dissolutions on view until July 10th. I saw the show a few weeks ago with my eight-year-old and it is 1000% worth the trip to see the materials up close and in person. Eric and I go into depth about the work in this show, the unusual materials he works with, like, for example, kombucha leather, which he creates using, you guessed it, the SCOBY. You know, like the slimy thing at the bottom? Anyway, uh, we talk about life experiences and ideas that prompted Eric to create this work. We talk yoga, Buddhism, processes of life and death. We pretty much cover the whole gamut. Eric's works are truly striking with an inherent investigation into the macabre. I highly recommend for this one that you check it out on YouTube because we walk through some of the work and you really need to see what it looks like so you get an idea of what we're talking about. So head over to the YouTube channel to watch and don't forget to give us a little like and comment and subscribe if you haven't yet. Finally, if you'd like to take a little fiber shopping trip, head over to naromastudio.com and get 15% off all your favorite fibers using the code PODFRIEND. Rope, wool, yarn, string, recycled silks, you name it, we probably have it. Again, the code is PODFRIEND for 15% off at Studio. And without further ado, you can find Eric online at ericbergrin.com and on Instagram at ericbergrin. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Eric.
1: I'm Eric Bergrin. It's uh same name on Instagram, B-E-R-G-R-I-N. That's all I need to promote, really. Okay.
0: <laughs> awesome. Just to let everybody know, Eric and I have never really chatted before, but um, <laughs> I didn't even really know that much about your work. Um, And it was so weird last week when I was just, I was on Instagram, I was checking my DMs and all of a sudden I got this flood of like 20 messages from 2019 and one of them was from you and i was like and i didn't know that it was that i didn't know it was old when i saw it i thought it was a new one and you were just saying hey i like the podcast um just reaching out whatever and then i checked out your work and i was like oh cool i really it's really interesting i would love to talk to this guy and so i responded um uh yeah you know like let's let's do a pod and then i went back and looked at the date and i was like oh my god this is from 2019 like how did this happen and then The coolest thing is that you have a show up up right now at the Morris Museum and I'm like, wait a minute. And I I don't know, for me, I feel like it's like so serendipitous when things like this happen because I mean, the Morris Museum, by the way, people, it's 20 minutes from my house.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think I I, uh, messaged you after, I had a show in 2018, but I know it wasn't too long after I did that show. And I, yeah, and it's kind of good. Yeah, because it you know aligned with the show that I have up now.
0: Yeah, yeah, the timing worked out amazing, like so well. So I actually went with my um, with my eight year old. He had a sick day, um, quote unquote sick day. He had a little cough, and so I whatever. I didn't want to send him because I I feel like the teachers will look at me sideways. You know, because yeah. of COVID and everything. Yeah. So I said, yeah. oh, he'll stay home with me that day. And that was the day I was planning to go see the show. And uh, and I was like, well, you know, I guess I'll bring him. He, it's funny because he like he likes sort of dark aesthetic things. Like he's really into Tim Burton and he loves horror characters. Like he, he draws Freddy and Jason all the time and like all this stuff. And I was like, maybe he'll like it. Who knows? <laughs> so I brought him.
1: So what did he, what was his feedback? Like what did he.
0: It was interesting. He was like, um. Okay, so the mannequins with the clothes are kind of cool, but he was really um he's the video. There's so there's a video in the exhibition, and um he goes, It made me feel really weird. And <laughs> yeah. he didn't he, you know it's funny because he can't put words he can't really put words to it. He just said it made me feel weird, maybe a little icky. And he and he goes, but the clothes were pretty cool. <laughs> it was
1: like, okay. You know what it is I think about the video that adds another element it's the sound sound, 100 yeah and the the volume that it's out right now is like the loudest they would let me do it because there's another Mm. exhibition like kind of close by that has sound and it can't obviously interact but I really wanted that to be like as loud as possible and just kind of blast throughout the gallery and so you could you're kind of bombarded with a overlapping of you know all the sounds put together
0: the sound is so powerful like it, it gives you that visceral thing you're like what what am i what am i watching what am i listening to and it's a lot i mean it's a lot to take in it's i mean it's so fascinating i like cannot wait to get into your brain and understand yeah. a little bit about what makes you you and how you became this the creative person you are today um so yep. i mean yeah let, let's let go back can you tell me like where where are you from where'd you grow up and um you know, I don't know. I'm really curious about how you came to not only the aesthetic that you're drawn toward, but also the subject matter, because um, I know the show is about um, is about Buddhism. It's titled uh, "The Eight Dissolutions." So, yeah, um, sure. I'm sure we'll get into that. As you tell me about your background,
1: <laughs> um, I grew up, I grew up in Jersey, in like Central Jersey, and it oh, was no, very right. kind of normal. Yeah, it was like like an hour from the Morris Museum, so. Yeah. I mean, it was very like normal, but I think when I turned 18, I started going to nightclubs and I started dressing up and going out and they were always like kind of kooky outfits that I would make to go out. And, you know, it started with like just taking refurbished clothing and redoing it. And then I started making my own stuff and then I bought a sewing machine and would, you know, get a bolt of fabric and lay a t-shirt and cut around it and then have two of those and sew them together. And then, I put together a portfolio of like stuff that I've made and then I ended up getting a job at a costume shop Then they at the costume shop they did all the stuff for the Macy's Day Parade and uh, big like foam team mascots and stuff and I ended up working there for like nine months. My friend had got me in when they were in a bind and then from there there were all of these other shops that did stuff for Broadway and historical replica stuff and I kind of just, I was like over higher at shop to shop. And then that's really where I learned all my skills from. But during the time that I was working there, I mean, I was always making my own stuff. Like I would always just, you know, I would like bathe myself in the techniques that I would learn because I would be so excited about it. And then I would just constantly be making stuff at home.
0: So before so I, before you even started working at the costume shop, did you um like, did you take- Sewing classes, or where did you get the foundation? Did you just play around? How did this? I was just
1: playing around, and it was a lot of you know. You, I don't. YouTube wasn't even a thing back then, but it is now, and I learned so much off of YouTube. But yeah, I was just playing around. I mean, to make clothes, like everyone has clothes, so you just kind of put clothes on fabric and cut around it, and then you start to you can sew a line straighter and then I don't know you just the progression you start to learn more and more and more and especially in the shops like I would they would teach me everything I mean I think anybody can if they can operate a sewing machine can make a a garment that you can wear and especially the stuff that I was making wasn't it was like kooky club clothes you know so it didn't have to look perfect and um I think you know just refining skills and costume shops is what well. but then at at one studio I worked at I I took a um, bunch of classes at FIT so but I I think if I enrolled properly I would probably not I would still be a freshman but I I just took like pattern making one and two and sewing one and two and drawing one and two draping and I learned a lot from that but I mean I know I just always was like more experimental mm-hmm. and I always wanted I never care. I mean, they would make us do assignments like, go to Saks and find who your girl, your dressing is. And I'm like, I don't want to dress girls. I just want to dress like aliens, like figures, like non-existent things. And, you know, I did learn a lot of construction skills from there, but it was just from like making over and over and over.
0: Right. So yeah. even your desire to dress, did you say aliens? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I just use that as yeah, I did. But I think it's more I wasn't interested in beauty. And I think a lot of fashion, it's about beauty. It's about making women look better and making women empowered. And I just never cared about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, I want that. But it wasn't my artistic goals. And it the FIT sort of pushed you in that direction, because that's,
0: it's the Fashion Institute, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I just, I don't know. I never really, I never, you know, costume is one thing, but it's for a stage and it's for a performance of some sort. And, and I kind of never really, I don't know, if I had a job, I would do it for that, but I wasn't interested in performance really mm-hmm. either. So I, I just didn't, it didn't really have a place. And eventually the work started getting more, elaborate and then i took it off the body at one point and started making like these guys behind me these big kind of weaving things and then that's i had a show in 2018 that was just large strictly kind of uh, fiber sculptures there was more than weaving and then for the eight disillusions projects i i wanted to put it back on the body i'm like let me go to my roots really and i really wanted to make the video and i wanted people to be involved in it and like have it on live people and stuff like that so it it really came at like the slow progression
0: right so okay so let's go back to even when so the other show you're talking about with the um sort of form figure figure like Woven basket. I don't know how to describe it. Sorry, everybody go on to the YouTube. You can see it behind him um, yeah, <laughs> um, What was the impetus for that show like what what made you want to create these objects and what were you know What was the meaning behind them?
1: So it it had to do with my spiritual practice, which is a is kind of a strict Buddhist meditation a specific type of meditation that I do But it had, it was a lot about, I went on a retreat. It was sort of a longer retreat. And I had this experience where I was, I I was basically, I realized my own mental health, how I was putting myself through mental, my own mental health, which is basically like reinforcing negative thoughts over and over until I died and then born again. And then it's doing the same. and you know, spending a lifetime doing that and dying and boring again. And I just kind of realized I was doing that to myself and shadow work, which is the name of the show was sort of an investigation into how to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. And that was the point of it was to like, it wasn't like I was looking for answers. I was just trying to investigate uh, a little more. So each there are nine pieces. They're each like seven foot tall. And, the pieces are te- it's like kind of a ritualistic telling of like how i did that to myself and i i have a i have my book here <clears throat> so this is incentive to watch the video because i always record i when i listen to podcasts i never watch videos i always do it with audio me too <laughs> so it's yeah it's good to convince people to watch a video too because then they can sing it's like a like storytelling time Like in this photo, totally. So, can I can I can I go through it? Yes, please. So, so, it starts off with this piece, which is um this is the kind of the opening of the ritual. So, this is all like boiled <laughs> wool. Is it like and then sh- the chakras? The, yeah. Mm. Uh, and so the candles are lit. There are candles inside, and they're all made of resin and wax. And that's when the ceremony is kind of beginning. And then you get to this piece, which is, this is all stage, sage. So we shot, uh, this is a photograph from this magazine called King Kong. So like halfway through the project, we shot five of them for the magazine, but this is all woven there. It's like this, uh, five or six panels of woven. And that's when the. Uh, sage is lit and you're kind of dusted with the sage before the ceremony oh, wow! and then this one it's all coiled so it's like one inch pieces of fabric and it's like a big blue piece I should describe them for the audio people it's a big blue piece that's like it has a Tibetan singing bowl in the middle and um, it's all coiled and it's supposed to look like a mandala so it's just like one inch strips of fabric that are wrapped in uh, roving and thread and then sewn into these like 3d shapes wow so you can kind wow. of see them on this so in this piece is when the bell in the middle is rung and the ceremony is ready to begin <clears throat> and then there goes this one which is a large It's all made of jute rope, and I had to build. I never, I you know, I learned weaving from YouTube too, Mm -hmm. and so I had to build a loom for this one because I didn't want any seams in it. And I was in another studio at this point. It was so big that when I moved the studio, I had to leave it there because I couldn't get it out. Undoing it, which probably would really—that's sad. I, I know. I don't. I mean. You know it was like a frame loom so it's just a bunch of nails and wood and stuff but and i i don't know but anyway this is this piece it's called juanita and it's basically like the body it's a it's all made of jute rope and the body is split open and there's like kind of black nails and uh different wires and stuff inside and that's kind of when after the the ceremony starts, the body split open and all that junk sort of ready to be exposed. And this, this part, I'll get back to this one. But this one was sort of the key in how to get out of this whole cycle. Mm-hmm. So this one is actually my favorite. It was my least favorite after I made it. And now it's my most favorite, actually, looking back at it.
0: And where is this piece now? Where are these pieces now?
1: They're dispersed so like d- there are different pieces are in different places some are in storage i have one here there's a couple in people's houses and uh the rest are i have to get back on that yeah. I, don't yeah I think there most of them are, are in storage though this one is that's a real person it's called the crematorium and it looks like a giant chimney that's all Black And it's all woven. Um, it's jute rope and wool. And then the top is all coiled. So these are all coiled pieces. Oh, wow. And then this one is the cocoon, which is all wool. That's woven together on a structure. And then it's done. This part in the middle is all reed. And the kind of tentacle-looking parts in the bottom are all reed that wow. are wool over and then the last three are so this is so cool i i did a retreat at this monastery in nepal and which is where i first learned about this which is this this one here and the, the last three pieces are called the the disappearing of the rainbow body one two and three so in this monastery it's so cool there's this room that they took us to at the end of the retreat i guess that when you're enlightened, when you become enlightened and after you die, you're burned usually. And you they build these pyres for them that they burn them in and they find relics in ashes mm. after the enlightened beings are burned. And so they have mm. a room in the monastery full of all these like pearl they're usually pearls that grow every year so they're in these cases and they're they're measured out and they have the measurements next to them in very minuscule amounts that they grow but they grow every year and they leave these relics so it's so cool I, I mean I was like you know it's kind of like hard to believe that this is happening but I just thought it was like a cool kind of concept but the rainbow the three rainbow body people, Pieces are they're large woven pieces made of reed that's all dyed and then they have these strings nylon threads coming from the center mm-hmm. and this one's black here and then this is the second rainbow body piece which is a large green piece and it has a little mummy inside do you see him yeah oh my gosh and then this is all black here well it's blacker Down, the strings become black. And this is the last one, which is uh, all black. Like, the strings are all black. So it's this large red reed piece with all coiled inside. And the rainbow body, the disappearance of the rainbow body, but the rainbow body phenomenon is a concept that if at the time of death you become enlightened, your body shoots out into rainbow light. It just explodes. And there's all these cases of that happening, whether it's true or not But I just thought the disappearing of the rainbow body is basically the elimination of that rainbow light Mm -hmm. disappearing, you know? So the whole thing was this ritualistic telling of like how we put ourselves through this mental health, the negative thoughts, the body split open, you become the thoughts and then you, everything that's good is being sucked away, which is the rainbow body pieces. And then in the show had it in, uh, in 2018 it was at Marlboro and it was all dirt. I had the gallery where the pieces were filled with dirt and it was in they were in a circle. So it's kind of this you know circular motion of like doing this and reinforcing over and over. But this this fourth piece, the one of Jute called Juanita, this is sort of the key to I think getting out of it. <clears throat> so when I went to I, I had traveled around Peru one year. And there's this, oh my God, there's this museum in Arequipa. If anybody goes to Peru, make a trip to this museum. It's it's it, it's in the city called Arequipa. And it's this mummy called Juanita that's there and it's sort of based around it. But this mummy was found forever ago and she was um, held in an icebox. And basically what they found, she was preserved. And the whole museum, they explain in the beginning via video like what happened but basically they took her on a three-day journey in the Andes and then hit her on the side of the head with a rock and sacrificed her to this to their god Pachamama and you know it's like horribly horribly gruesome but part of it is they picked her when she was you know age zero to two or whatever when she was very young to be sacrificed mm-hmm. and it was, I don't know, I, I remember they take you through the museum, it's very dark, there's all these objects that she was buried around with, so you could just see weavings and um, different like silverware and 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 pots and pant- stuff like that, cooking stuff, and then you they take you into the room, they part the curtain and then it's super super dark, so your eyes take a minute to adjust and then there's her in a box like curled up and it's a nice box and I was like I never had an interest in mummies, I didn't really know. I was so struck by this, it was like bone chilling, it was amazing, and I, the whole experience was like, you know, it's a cool sight, I love that stuff, of course, but like, there I knew there was more to it mm-hmm. than that, and I sort of realized that like, I don't know, I just became like, this idea of like, knowing you're gonna die at a young age, you know? She knew for like, she was like 12 or so 14 mm-hmm. when she died, so she knew for, like, 10 years that she was being going to be sacrificed. Right. And I was like, there is no – according to the grand scheme of the universe, like, that's our life. Like, in the beginning of, to the end, it just, it's like 100 years. It's like nothing. There really is no difference between these 10 years of knowing you're going to die and our 100 years of knowing. Right. And there really is not. There is none. And I was like, that's why it was so – striking is because I feel like you could either use that knowledge of death is coming to completely be trapped in fear like oh my god I'm gonna die like I have to make every moment count or be completely liberated like nothing matters because it's going to be over so soon so that was really the point of shadow work was like how to get out of what I'm sort of doing to myself like and I feel like that fourth piece Juanita was sort of the answer and actually the disillusions which was the next next project was a continuation of that because it was all about the death process Mm -hmm. really
0: um so can you well okay (laughs) before you explain the dissolutions um let's go back to Peru when like when in your life did you go on that trip
1: Um, I was there like six years ago, I think. Okay. Something, maybe seven.
0: And because I was going to ask you, and you probably, that's probably the answer, but I was going to ask what was, were there moments in your life or either um, a piece of art or a movie that you saw that completely changed, like the, the inside of you that resonated so hard inside of you that it's sort of like. It, t- it took you on the path that you're on today, which sounds like seeing that mummified, seeing monita really yeah. kind of, it it sort of, um it was like this jumping off point for you creatively. And yeah. I think so, and within you, I, I guess, not even just like, you know, in terms of your work or whatever, but what, like what was happening inside you at the time?
1: Yeah, there's a couple points. I mean, it's, especially when things that I've traveled to, I mean, I was in Myanmar for, in Burma for... A month and I remember seeing there's this really chilled out sort of Lake City called Inlay Lake and I remember going there and it's surrounded by mountains and it's so beautiful it's so it's just an incredible sight and an incredible city and especially after like traveling so long and it was so chill to be there that I just I don't know I was like in bliss while I was there but it's surrounded by mountains and I remember Looking at those mountains and being like, all I could, th- I was, I was alone, so I was like writing a, in, in a journal a lot. And I just remember thinking about like freedom when I was mm-hmm. looking at that. And I was, I, I, I had to like, con- constantly kind of analyze it because I was like, I know if I was like, plopped down in those hills, Like running around, it really really wouldn't equal freedom because I hate trekking. There's tons of bugs. It was the hottest time of the year. It was in the forest. It wouldn't be pleasant at all. But I kind of realized that that sight made me, and I think whenever anybody travels and sees something and just like so beautiful that it makes them weak, it makes them want to cry. It was kind of like that. It was like what freedom really is, is stripping away all the filters until you're looking at something so beautiful that you have no more fear. And it's no more, no, nothing that's hard anymore. It just weakens you into a state of vulnerability and tenderness. And I think that state is what real freedom is all about. It's just and not having any guards, you know, Nina Simone said it amazing in her documentary where she that documentary is so good. And there was like a famous line where she was like, I'll tell you what freedom is. No fear, you know, and she's like, I feel that when I'm on stage and that it took me a minute to figure out what that was. But like that whole documentary was shocking because she was so angry her whole life. She was fighting for black rights yeah. and she was so angry that she had to move to africa to get away from it with good reason of course but after hearing that i was so shocked because i didn't know any of that's i know her music but i didn't know any of that stuff about her and i was so shocked because when she opens her mouth it's the most angelic beautiful gentle i mean that song wild isn't in the wind wild wild in the wind wild is the wind That makes me cry every single time I listen to it. It's so beautiful, and I was so shocked to hear that because I would never expect that to be coming from... There's anger, Mm you know, for an angry person. And I think that when she goes on stage, she's able to take that anger and really transform it into something that's, like, so angelic and soft and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say that, like, all delusions which is like any sort of negative like anger jealousy all of that is like a delusion the root of that is fear and if you're able to take that and translate it into something that's so real and gorgeous and beautiful that's real alchemy you know that is real she is a wizard I mean she is the wizard in every sense of the word and I think with you know that's always been my goal of trying to achieve and not to put it in a great gallery I mean of course I want to do that it's amazing but it's more because I don't want it in me anymore right. and that's that was the point of shadow work really I mean that's the point of all my work really right right. where so do you he, think um, um all the,
0: the all the inner all the inner feelings that you want to get out and all the all the all the processes of going through all this and and fi- and finding it in your art to express all of it. Where do you think that all came from, with the way that you were treating yourself and the way you know?
1: I think it's it's just a thing that everybody has. I mean, I'm not particularly, you know, I don't want to uh, comparatively, you know, I'm not like depressed or I'm I'm pretty happy. But I think if you, it's the human anybody- condition, right, to always have. And I think if anybody really digs in, into themselves, there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, if I mean, these, retreat, you know, my like meditation retreats, they help me go to a place. But if anybody even goes to therapy and has like one moment where they like all of a sudden start crying and they get in touch with something, you realize that you have a subconscious and there's stuff buried there, mm-hmm. you know, and it and it's there's something deeper there. And so. I think if anybody actually like digs into themselves, you'll find all of that stuff that's been buried there. And I've just been doing this work for, I mean, not the like artwork, but more mind training work mm-hmm. that I just get excited about digging it up, you know? Well, that's and what now-
0: I mean, that's what I find so fascinating, too. I mean, the fact that you, I mean, are you a, an actively practicing Buddhist
1: Uh, yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know the correct terminology.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is the correct, it is is the correct terminology. So like what,
0: what brought you to even explore that? Because, you know, we live in a Western world that's not, you know, it's like if you grew up with any religion around here, it's either, you know, Catholicism or Christianity, maybe, you know, Judaism, whatever. It's like the the three, right? And Buddhism Mm -hmm. and Hinduism don't play a huge role um just in I mean in our western United States in our culture so I guess I'm curious it's like how did you first get into that like did someone else introduce would, it to you or
1: not uh kind of I mean I it started through yoga I mean mm-hmm. I had like you know I was on like a long road trip and my we you know we were driving a lot and my body was all like Ugh. Uh, from being in the car and I remember sitting on a poolside and being like if I don't do something about my body I'm gonna die yeah like and and so I came back and I took a a yoga class in a studio f- for an hour every single every single day seven days a week for eight months and I was like in bliss mm-hmm. for like it was I've never experienced anything like that before and I have never since then and i don't expect that outcome, anybody or anything like that. But it was amazing. And so I had a teacher that would do like five minutes of meditation before. And then from there, I was like, there's really something to this, you know? And then I was reading books and I honestly, the power of now completely. I read that like forever ago and that opened me up to a whole new thing. And then someone mentioned this 10 day Vipassana retreat, which was, it's a, they're pretty popular they're like all over the us and all over the world but it's 10 days and it's like you go there and there's no you they take everything away from you so there's like no reading or writing or uh you can't speak for the 10 days and it's like 10 to 12 hours of meditation a day and it's it's really strict and it's sheer torture it's really hard but you come i mean i someone told me about it. And I was like, that's amazing and scary. And ugh. and then a year later, I went and then I was like, I'm glad I went, but I'll never do that again. It was so hard.
0: 10 days of I, zero talking.
1: You know? Yeah. You can talk like day 10, but you get there on day zero. So it is probably, yeah. Is right. Proper- and
0: no writing. So you can't even get out what you-
1: No writing. <laughs> thinking we, of. No talking. And then- and then you, you're supposed to not make eye contact with people and then there's like a couple times a day you're sitting for an hour in a, a meditation hall and then you're meditating on your own and then but you listen to and every day they get into the technique more at the end of the day uh, and they explain about what you're doing basically for the next day and this and that. and it's okay. incredible but it's it's tor- It's hard. Yeah. And it's it's not just hard mentally. It's really hard physically because you're sitting on a meditation cushion for, and your bones are like aching. It's, But anyway, I got out of that and I planted a seed, which I started researching and reading books. And I went to Shambhala Center and took a million classes. And then I went here and there and there. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready for Vipassana again. And then I went back. And then I went back again. And then I went back again. And then, I, and then, I don't know, it just... I found a teacher that's really good and that breaks things down kind of scientifically and logically and practically and it's Mm -hmm. not just like you know i'm talking about rainbow body and all of this kind of ethereal airy stuff and it's so not like that it's so not it's so much more grounded than that you know Mm -hmm. it's like this is the way the mind works and uh, these are negative. These are what negative thought. These are what positive you want to take the negative out and do, it's really practical. Mm-hmm. But I, that's how I sort of got into it. And then I was always making stuff. And at some point, they my mind practice became so dominant that it just collided with my art practice. It, it couldn't. Not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, that would be the, yeah, the uh, sort of the obvious next step. Um, wait, so when you're on the, when you were in, in Nepal on the retreat for the 10 days, um, how long are you, are they having you sit and meditate?
1: The Nepal one wasn't that retreat. Okay. The, the Nepal one was 10 days and it was at this monastery called Kopan Monastery. And, um, that was, it was 10 days, but it was all visualizations because oh, okay. the Tibetans love their visualizations. But Pashna, the other, type the other retreats they're not it's not visualization it's sitting there and start focusing on your breath in the beginning and then you start to scan your body for sensations so it's like more kind of internal in a sense Mm -hmm. um at copan in nepal that one was it was divided through all the minute uh visualization so we would sit for an hour at a time and it would be like I think we, it was much later. We started at 6 a.m. And I think we ended at 9 p.m. But it was like, and you couldn't talk for half the day there.
0: Okay.
1: And so it was a little more tolerable. And it was a lot of learning, you know.
0: Right. But, so you're not just walking alone with your own thoughts, with nothing, with no other inputs. It's like there are people teaching you and
1: it's, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Wait, and then
0: Rakashna, where, where is that one?
1: That I usually went to the one in Massachusetts. There's a okay. center in Massachusetts, and then I also did a ten-dayer at Bur- in Burma, and that was the same one. But that one was really, that was hard <laughs> because the, the conditions were so different that it was it was the same format and the mm-hmm. same like schedule breakdown, but it was just a different place. So it was like the food was different, and-
0: right? So what do you what are you going through mentally and emotionally when you're when you're going through these retreats like what is going through your mind and do you break like i like when you're talking about yoga i was thinking about how um you know there have been a couple times where i was in in, when i'll be in shavasana shavasana and you like you just break down weeping right do these retreats like put you in a place where the like where you're processing like in this way
1: yeah (laughs) i mean I kind of don't even want to steer, but for I'll just talk personally for my right your own the, experience.
0: This is yeah strictly the, your own experience.
1: The, the ten the vipassana ten day ones, it's a lot. You you do you maybe you get there eventually, but it's a lot of like. I remember one time, like I watched the Karate Kid. It was like some song in some movie that would not shut up in my. Head. I mean, it was like over and over and over all I kept doing is like picturing this one part and I watched it like right before I came there. And I don't remember what song it was, but all all I was doing was like, I remember they, this sounds a little extreme, but it's what they do. And if you're like, have been there a couple of times, they give you a, it's called a cell, but don't think of it as prison. It's basically just a carpeted room that you could sit alone in the dark, (laughs) but I was in a cell and I, (laughs) and I was there and I remember the, Thoughts came up over and over. And it was just like just the same lines from Karate Kid and this one song. It's not that, that the
0: last song? You're the best around.
1: Yeah, different song. And I, I don't remember what it was. And it probably I wouldn't even say it because it's probably really embarrassing. It's probably like some musical or something. I, I don't I really don't remember, though. But there was um, the, these thoughts just kept coming up. And I was like at some point I was, you know, you have to just knock them down. You can acknowledge Mm -hmm. them and come back to your breath and say thinking, which is a kind way. But at some point you have to really go to war with it. I mean, you have to be like, no, no, no. You know, every time it comes up being like, you are not going to dominate my monkey mind, you know, as they say. And so you really have to go to war with your mind. And I just, you think it's supposed to be these like, deep childhood memories that come up. And sometimes they do. But a lot of the times it's that stuff that's trying to take your mind away. And I realized that they call it karas, which is like negative things that are coming up. They come up in forms like that, that are trying to distract you. And I realized that I was fighting these things the whole time, instead of trying to be present enough that that stuff will come up. That was that. Mm -hmm. you know so yeah deep childhood memories come up and shit that you didn't even think that you remembered from like preschool and stuff and it doesn't have to be like trauma or anything could be but a lot of stuff is like just weird memories that you're like oh my god
0: yeah it's like the stuff that's at the surface like the stuff like whatever you think about as you're falling asleep or what gives you insomnia which is you know it's not usually the childhood stuff it's like um yeah yeah. And you get
1: great I got amazing my create creative ideas are like so amazing. And it's you know what I it at some point you realize that like you're like okay, I don't want to forget this because I can't write it That's down. That's what I was
0: thinking. Like, Can you sketch it? That's
1: <laughs> Yeah, you can't do anything. And so you keep reminding yourself these great ideas that probably mm-hmm. aren't really that great, but it's just your mind trying to distract you. It's like, "Oh, I know that. It's really sticky if I give him a great weaving idea when he gets home. So, I'm going to You know, I don't know who's acting, doing this, but like implanting these thoughts that like make you want, but it's just trying to distract you from actually doing any work. You know, that is the work is to like get away from that, those kind of things, you know,
0: Uh, it's it's so hard though, because I feel like there's a huge conflict there. Like I would want to, I would want it to be like the reason I go do those things to clear the mind so that the creative ideas will flow. So that yeah. those things will come in, yeah. But you're supposed to be working on your inner yeah. work.
1: And yeah. Then, it, took you know. a minute. it took me a minute to realize that because I was like, I don't want to lose these ideas. It yeah. Like, Ten days, I'm going to forget. But at some point, you're like, this is actually just another distraction. It's knows, mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is, but it it's really sticky. You you want to develop the idea and. You have all this time and you're completely bored and you want to kind of make this a grand better and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's just distracting you from actually doing the work. Right.
0: Right. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, I get it. I I totally get what you're saying, but I'm like, oh, it's so frustrating. I think I would get so angry. Like, but then you have to, then you have to put the anger aside and like overcome that part of it, you know, to really get down to where you're just like stripping yourself of all of it. Yeah.
1: But that is the work. Yeah, too. you know, you know, stripping yourself to get some. You know, you're you're calming the waves, and then you're seeing all the skeletons and the tin cans and the bloody old boots that have been under the ocean for so long. But you have to calm the wave in order to do that, and you're doing all of it at once, really. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so then you. So in 2018, you do shadow
1: work. Yeah.
0: Um, I also well, saw. I showed-
1: Work in two thousand, but it, I did it for four years before okay. that. Wow, it took me wow. a long time to make those.
0: So you're you're at the Marlborough Gallery for that show. Is that who like represents you? Um, no,
1: they didn't represent. I just showed there for that one show.
0: Okay, how did that come about?
1: Um, I got a email from the curator called Leo Fitzpatrick, just wanting to do a studio visit, and I set up the pieces, and he came for a studio visit, and it was like. I want to show these. I mean, it's really kind of a yeah, yeah, I, well, so because
0: p- part of this podcast, and I know you um thank you. I think you said you've listened to a few episodes, but um, a lot of people oh. who are listening, I think are really curious on how to get into the gallery world and um how to just get noticed or whatever. So I guess i'm I'm asking, how did the the curator know of your work? Have you been like sending out? Have you been sending your work out, um, you know, just like contact sheets and things like that, or how are you doing it these days?
1: Um, well, with that show, I was recommended from someone that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, with this Morris Museum show, I the um, director he he actually just left, but the director of the Morris Museum was the director of Mad the Museum of Art and Design. Oh, okay. So I knew him through that, and. I just emailed, I mean, and I knew him through like a personal friend too, who had like connected us and I showed him shadow work and he was like, well, our museum is more art, sound and motion. And he was like, it doesn't really fit. And so I just emailed him with like, when I finished the disillusion saying like, Hey, here they are. And he came for a studio visit and I broke down the materials and all of that stuff with him there and wanted to know it. Yeah. But I do send out, I try to send out like PDFs. I have a PDF of like the whole disillusions and all the material breakdown and all that stuff. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's tricky because it doesn't. It
0: differ. doesn't. Tr- I have to say, so after having seen the work in person, I mean, oh, yeah, it it's so hard to translate it in, um, a, you know, a two-dimensional media format, it's like so different when you see it in person. I mean, just like the textures and even knowing what the materials are. Like for example, I mean, you use a SCOBY kombucha leather that you've made um which i mean can you talk about this process i mean i just it's so i'm trying to explain this over over a podcast format but what i really want to do is just have everybody go to the morris museum go look at the show and then you'll understand what we're talking about like these materials he uses is crazy like he's got he's got aluminum threads horse hair uh you know in in addition to like uh, seaweed like so many different kinds of you know earthy materials but that are so unconventional um yeah so can you talk about that a little bit
1: okay so the eight to solutions it is a it's a buddhist death process that in eight stages the um senses and the elements all shut down so this is the process that is supposed to happen when you die whether it is or not i don't know but it's it was my i wanted to do it for a number of reasons but one of the reasons was to get a sort of insight into if it's possible, really, or how, how, you know, this is a way of really like kind of cherishing your life is to like, Buddhists love to meditate on their own death. It's a big thing. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of it is just to, so you enjoy your life. I mean, if you just even think about someone close to you dying for close your eyes and like really concentrate, you'll forgive them of like any, you know what I mean? It's a way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So it, I did it during, During COVID, as soon as COVID started, I started making this project and seeing all the morgue trucks outside of 14th Street and all of that. It was like crazy, you know. I almost didn't even need to do it because I could just look outside my window in New York. But um it I did, it's a I learned it at Copeland Monastery. It was a visualization meditation, and there's a meditation that could take you through the whole process. And I did that over and over. And when I was doing it, I always had visuals, visualization. And there were always, you know, I work with these materials. And so um, when I was visualizing it, that's the materials that sort of came to me. It sounds a little like magician-y. But I, what I mean by came to me is like I thought of these textures. Like when mm-hmm. I was doing the the one that's made of kombucha, it was a material that was like wet slick and tr- transparent leathery and there was no material like that that I could think of and so I was like okay how do I make this and so and then there was ones with like crystals that I grew on it and there, there I didn't there was no material that I can get so I had to figure out a way to do it but basically each piece there's eight pieces and then there's a figure in the middle and a video each piece is a Representation of the eight dissolution. So, in step one, um, what happens is the earth element starts to dissipate, and then your sight starts to go. So you, this is what you picture: you picture your body going into the earth. Your arms start to go behind your back, and your sight starts to go, and then that gives rise to the second, which is water and sounds. So all the water dries up from the body, the fluids from the body, which is for um, elements of water, and then um, your hearing starts to go, and that's the second, and third, and so each. each I just did the, meta, the visualization over and over, and I would start to get all these like visuals, and then I would draw them out, and then you know, and then we made the video number one so you could show they're real people because on the in the show I have them on they're on mannequins, but I made all the heads for it, so they're full body sculptures, mm. but they're you can actually wear the pieces. So we made a video that has people wearing them as well. And then I made all the each of the eight dissolution pieces, it's connected with a mudra, which is like, you know, this is a mudra, like hand, praying hands is a mudra, any kind of like, it's just a hand gesture basically. Cause when I was doing it, I noticed that my hands always wanted to go in a certain place. So mm-hmm. like when we were they, the disillusioned one, you're, the earth element dissipates, your body goes into the ground, your arms go behind your back. And then, you know, I always noticed my hands went. So each one and the same way. So, like, here's Disillusion One, I have a photo of it. And this is all felted. And then this is like the top, the skirt, this skirt is all felted. And then the top is like 300 and something strips of linen that are kind of woven in this diamond pattern and they're all different colors. And then the head for it, that's a real person, but the head is made of seaweed. And then this is the, the mudra for it. So the the mudra, um, I photographed someone doing those hand positions and then printed them on fabric and then made them into dresses. Mm-hmm. And then for the video, we had, i because when I did this meditation alone, and my I was like moving during it. I'd always noticed because of my the hand gestures. I was always noticed my hands going. It I felt like it was it became like kind of buto you know, just expressing this like kind of violent, almost looking thing. And I, I was doing it alone in my room. So it's not like I was trying to impress everyone with how like, you know, movement oriented I am and how right. esoteric and like airy fair. You know, it wasn't like that at all. I was alone. And so, I don't know, I just, I did a um, residency at Governor's Island, and and there was an open studio, and Yoko, who is the Butoh dancer in the video, came, and she was like, oh my god, these pieces, I had a couple pieces up, and she was like, they're so Butoh, and I was like, oh my god, because I, I, you know, I told her that, that Mm -hmm. story, and i was like i was i'm going to make a video with this and i was like looking for a bhuta dancer and she was like i'm a bhuta dancer that's amazing and so, yeah and so they came and danced for my for the video and it she acted as the mudra teacher and so she basically was the one who made the gestures that the sculpture pieces would uh kind of follow but um yeah there's a lot of a lot of the materials were it, there, there's an element of sustainability, of course, because all, it's super organic. But mm-hmm. it was also how do I create these alien materials that I've never seen before? And a lot of it, like number, number two, this is water. So this is a, a fabric. I bought this. It's made of bark tree material, the body. And then I embedded these uh, tetraglyphs into it. And then That's this so cool. is all hammered, aluminum. And then this is all felted. And then this is number three, which is this big black dress, which is all coiled. And this is like, it's basically like piping that's covered in roving and wrapped with threads. And then I painted it all with Plasti Dip and sewed it around a form. And then this is, and there's a drum embedded in the middle, because I play the handpan, which is like a steel drum. And I, I make drums too. And that's number three. And then number four is a big white felted one with the lungs, because this number four has to do with the air element. Like and air also and air and
0: taste, right?
1: Air and taste. And that's why she's throwing up that black stuff. Oh. At and then this one, it starts to get with five, six, seven, and eight starts to get more kind of esoteric with, it's associated with visions basically. So this is the vision of the white sky, and it's a white dress that has a triangle drum in the middle. And then um, this is all piping. So it's piping covered in roving and wrapped with threads and then sewn into these 3D shapes. And then this one is, this is the number six is a the radiant red sky. So this is all, the body is all kombucha leather in the middle. These are drums, circle drums in the middle. And then this, the the out the shell it's reed that's all dyed red and uh woven into a body form and then it's covered with a layer of chiffon that's painted with silicone so that's how it gets so slick and then the number seven is a black one and the body of this is all it's all woven my friend cynthia alberto she's amazing you should have her too she does she runs this um weaving company called Weaving Hand. She wove all the the body for me. And then the crystals are grown on the arm. Oh so it's just the solution you make with like borax and water and you make an understructure and dip it. And then you can the crystals can grow. And then you can spray them whatever color you want. And so that the that's the woven body and then the 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 scent there's a crack in the center and that's all crystals that I grew to. And then with the last one, it's a blue piece. And then the arms go in here and the mudra is like this. And so the blue part, and then there's a black part part, that's all seaweed. It's a textile developed from sodium alginate, which is seaweed. It's a cooking, you mix it with sodium alginate, glycerin water and pour it over sheep's wool and it, and then spray it with calcium chloride. It's really easy, but it sounds really you know, all these chemicals. Sounds like chemistry. Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, whatever, but uh, it makes this textile. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the, in the center, it's all bismuth, which is, um, it's like an, it's an element, I guess too, but it comes in a silver block and you can melt it down and it crystallizes when you put it to other metals. So I I made bismuth crystals to put down the center because the last piece is about emptiness and it's basically like your body exploding into kind of Bardo or into and, and emptiness is like a grand Buddhist concept. And the only way I could like translate that feeling that I was getting was to be like a tiny astronaut in the middle of the Milky way. And you're just floating there in like nebulas, you know? Yeah. And so that, that, the last piece was based on space. And so that had to be the most like alien materially one And so, um, yeah, so all the pieces are on display. We photograph them on people, and then we made the video. And there's a figure in the middle that's about, in the show, that's about to go, and it's wearing a weaving that I wove. um, And it has hash marks on it and bells and-
0: The one laying down.
1: Yeah, in the middle. And each of the pieces is associated with a sound. So in the video, and you can watch the video, um, it's on Instagram and YouTube and all that. It, it shows all eight pieces, but it shows piece one, and it has the sound, which is a drum that I made, because it's the earth element, it's the drum, and then number two are these rattles, so it's the drum, and then it shows piece two, which is the drum and the rattle, and then number three, and so on, and so, and a lot of the sounds I made with my mouth, and they, you know, there's a breakdown of the sounds, too, which goes exactly with the pieces, and, there's and a so breathing, the-
0: There's a breathing sound, I think that... Yeah, yeah,
1: that's number four, which is air and then there's one <gasps> Which that's number three, which is fire okay. Yeah, so that by number eight all the sounds are built up And then and then it ends and then you just feel the hear the breathing and then yoko doing the disillusioned mudra Teaching at all the right. end
0: So is the video, uh, is it public on youtube? What should yeah. people look up? If they look up
1: Disillusions, um, Eric Yeah, there's a link to it in the bio of my Instagram. Okay. Um, the The director of the video, his name is Arkon Zarkarov. He, I mean, if you go to my Instagram, he's tagged all over the place. He was, he, um, it's on his YouTube page. So I'm sure if you look up my name and eat Disillusions, it'll come up too. But he was brilliant in doing that video because it was very like bare bones and Oh my God! He pulled out so. It many. looks like a real a huge a big production. It's amazing! It's amazing, and I hate to like praise my own. No, work, you should. I it's want to it's praise him because it was. I mean, we talked about it extensively, but like, oh my God, the stuff that he did in person, and the makeup artist Andrew D'Angelo did all, and the Billy Schrader did the hair, and just everybody just the models that we got were just everyone was just so it was beautiful. It was it came together so so well. And it was it was hard to organize.
0: I mean, it really looked like um, you know a beautiful sort of piece of performance art, uh, sort of, and very cinematic as well. Um, mm-hmm. And oh. I know you've done like costuming for film. Um, mm-hmm. You did a horror movie. I don't know when is that movie out? By the way,
1: did I did I tell you about
0: that? No, I went on your Instagram. I was doing. Oh, so I was funny. doing my stocking. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it is not out yet, but it will be very. soon. Soon. Okay. Do you have a title. You got, I, is there
0: a title that it, you're allowed to? T- yeah,
1: it's called a wounded fawn. Okay. So that, and it, it'll be on Shutter when it when it does come out, and okay. uh, I'm not sure when it's going to be on Shutter, but it's going to be out on something else very soon, which I just got word of. So look for that because that that movie is going to be it's going to be really cool. Nice. I'm um, sure. Is that something <laughs>
0: you want to do more of? Like, did, how was that experience?
1: Oh, it was was amazing. I mean, I love doing costumes. I mean, while I was doing um, shadow work, while I was like getting ready for the show, I designed this, um, John Cameron Mitchell, who did Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He did another tour where he was just talking about the history of Hedwig and singing songs from it and all that. And I was was doing that costume. It was a set of costumes as I was doing Uh, getting ready for shadow work and so I I just I love I love doing costume stuff it's amazing and yeah I do want to do more of it yeah for sure I'm I'm doing working on a movie now called uh, the life to come which we're filming in June so I am doing more of it now awesome yeah costume stuff is is great because I get to like pull out all the stops for it you know and I have Especially with the disillusions, I learned a lot of weird techniques that when it comes to like a horror movie with kind of fantasy characters, you can use all these, uh, you know, you can use all of that stuff to make these foreign materials. Right. And, and
0: like the weirder and the more textured it is, like the kind of creepier it can feel and come off and, on, yeah. on film. But yeah, I mean, I was thinking it should it, it must be very rewarding to be able to do something that is going to live on film forever or what i i say film i understand everything like everything's digital now but um but you know like that people are gonna see and that you can actually put out in the world that aren't just gonna like be up for a couple months in a show and then you you know you put away or it goes into somebody's home or whatever yeah public and visible
1: yeah for sure i mean absolutely and that's one of the reasons i wanted to make i made a shadow work video as well and i i really wanted to do that to make it longer lasting and everybody loves film yeah so i i wanted to and and that's how things get seen too you know i not everybody can come to the morris museum show so it's it's a way of like actually getting the work it's a way of collaborating it's a way of making something greater than you know because you have all these extra like oh my god the hair and makeup and director and all of that stuff that I had just would add something that I would never be able to do, yeah. obviously. So it just it's it makes it this grand project and everyone gets excited about it. And I don't know, I'd I would do film all day long if I could. It's so amazing to do. Yeah.
0: Plus, I mean, I imagine you said you're working alone in your studio during COVID, like mm-hmm. that your that your process of working is very is pretty solitary. Um, so yeah, then fi- getting to be able to like have contact with people and actually collaborate and work to you know work with actually other actual other people is <laughs> a little of a departure from having to just kind of be alone in your studio, <laughs> seeing yeah. what works.
1: I mean that stuff gets maddening. I had an assistant for when I was doing the Disillusions that came once a week, and her name is Lauren Hoffman, and she was amazing because and part of it was like. It, there's an, you know, to help you build and to help it actually go quicker. But all, some of it was like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do with this. And she yeah. would come in and be like, why don't we try this? And why don't we do this? And we're, it's just like fresh ideas and someone with like a different perspective that that stuff's so helpful yeah. that it keeps you going, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, as you've gone through this process of thinking so much about Life and death, and processing death. And you've gone so thoroughly into it with, you know, creating work around it. How are you feeling in terms of, um, at some point right you're gonna die i'm gonna die how are you feeling about approaching your own death like thinking about that because i don't think about it a lot ever but talking to you has made me start thinking about it and i'm like is he gonna be? does this mean he's okay with dying like you know what i mean like if if people if buddhists um think about it so often it makes me think that they get to a point where they're okay with it you know like where that point of that point where they're about to die they they're ready You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just this is like it literally just came up in my mind.
1: I mean, I. I think that. This pro, I mean, thinking about the eight disillusions process. Makes me and thinking about what happens after, I mean, I read a lot of books about like mind beyond death. Mm -hmm. And I think that. I don't nobody knows. if. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't know what happens after you die, of course. I can hypothesize based on things that I've studied and learned and okay, well, I know that this is true and this connects to this and I've studied this and I've kind of looked into this a little bit and this this uh, proves that this is true. so I can see how it's like learning trigonometry and you don't know anything about numbers. You hear this weird thing about like the most intense math, I guess and you don't know anything about numbers, you have to learn what a number is first, and then you have to learn addition, and then you have to learn subtraction, which reinforces addition, and then division, which reinforces multiplication. you know? And then through when you learn division, you can be like, oh, I could see how trigonometry is true, although I don't know it yet, you know? Mm. And so I think from investigating these processes, I'm maybe not afraid, but it almost wasn't the point, at the point, because I mean, shadow work became what it was, but that wasn't the point. It's and more I, about
0: life, right?
1: Yeah, actually, it's <laughs> about how you can progress your own mind while you're actually doing the project. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when I showed in when I showed shadow work in Marlboro, I remember I was at the after party and somebody asked me, like, "Oh my God, how do you feel about this?" And I was like, "I don't want to feel ungrateful, but I don't feel anything." like i wasn't like wow i just had the greatest show of my i really i think this happens like a lot I,
0: I by the yeah. way i've heard this so often where it's like this moment that's supposed to be your pinnacle your your grand moment where you feel amazing and everything you work for comes to this moment but it's so much about the journey of getting there that was yeah. so much
1: more than the actual moment yeah and that's just like obnoxious because it's like a giant cliche you know and I don't ever want to be that kind of cliche but there's there's no other way I mean I remember when I was doing that um costume for John and then I was doing shadow work at the same time I was like killing myself or I was literally I mean it was like 17 hours a day for like months straight it was really hard and I remember being like coming back from like a garment district trip and trip and being like I'm so tired and I can't wait for this to be over. But I was like, but if when it's over, it's just going to be over. I I don't want it to be over because then I wouldn't have anything going on. And I don't, just so I can like catch up on sleep. Yeah, that'll be nice. But like, I don't want to miss this. Like it's happening now. Come on. Like it's happening now. And so I was like, I don't care if I'm tired. I want to really like kind of relish in this because i don't want it to be over you know that's actually and, such
0: a healthy way to look at it because i think most people who are that like sleep deprived and just exhausted and whatever be like oh i can't wait till this is over you know what i mean but you knew in advance that it was like no you have to be present for all of it
1: uh because then it's over and then you're like well i had a great show and you right. know? and then what i know and I, I don't want to miss it. I'm like, I feel like I was missing it. What? For like the two hours of my opening and like, right. you know, a bunch of Instagram likes afterwards because of people went to go see my show and praised it. I That's wonderful. Believe me, I love that. But I, I miss the four or five years I spent making that project. You
0: yeah, know? yeah.
1: Just for like one hour of like happiness it, that will never come. I'm never going to be chasing that. Again, isn't it amazing?
0: The 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 yeah, the conflict of it all. It's like yeah,
1: I mean, so like I don't know. So I, I there there are there is stuff that I've learned, but I think from the however long I was doing the disillusions I developed my mind was developing the whole time, and I I would have to probably sit down and be like. How was I before this project to really understand? And I may not even ever get there because it was such a slow progression. But I know that all of these projects really—they don't answer a single question. They help me really become a better person. As like, I don't know, kind of cliche as that sound. It really does. It really does progress my mind, which is the most. It's really the most important thing Mm -hmm. to me about the work, about me making the work. You know, whatever it is to other people, that's good. Good, But for me, it's really, I don't know. I i mean, I enjoy doing it. And there's like lots of techniques. I'm like obsessed with learning new things and improving craft, which mm-hmm. is a huge thing. I would do it for that reason alone. But if if I'm not becoming a more marvelous person because of it, then I'm not doing the work.
0: Yeah. So do you feel very changed from let's say five years say eight years ago i don't know when did you start like creating in a in this way where it was um where was more like healing and self-inner work um as opposed mm-hmm. to just like you know making something because you feel like making something
1: like sorry cut out the last part Make, oh what was it like um mm-hmm.
0: yeah like do you feel if you look say like i don't know 10 years back or whatever but to a point where before you started working in this way, where it was about, where it is about like processing um, what's happening inside and um, like, do you feel, do you feel changed? Do you feel like you're becoming more, a more marvelous person? And like you
1: say. yeah, <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's, it is the work that has been doing that, but it's also the conversation I have on a daily basis with myself and with like other people and interacting with other people and being like oh you know uh, things come up that's like why are you making this work and you know I mean I didn't know it was going to be in the Morris Museum I was just making it because I wanted to and it was like why are you making this it's more like giant things do people need to see this and, blah, blah, blah. and then I would have to be like shut up you know like in a, in a kind way but be mm-hmm. like don't let this touch the work like mm-hmm. if you have all of these doubts and you have fine, don't let it touch the work because then the work will not be pure mm-hmm. and it won't be it won't that genuine quality to it. And I've, 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 I think I've learned more from, you know, fighting with my own mind and it makes it sound like I'm some neurotic. Not at all. Cat.
0: Not at all. I, I think it's, it's exactly really what everybody, just... what every artist struggles with is your inner self doubt. And and maybe whatever else is coming in from the outside. But like it is it's whatever's in you that I think so many people struggle with. So yeah, no, you don't sound crazy at all.
1: I just mean like fighting with my head all the time and being like, ah." but just I I mean, these thoughts come up. And I I know that they're not healthy. And I don't want not even just doubts, but just like, I'm angry at this person, or why did this person do this or, or any of that stuff? Like, I don't want I don't want that stuff. You know, I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel good to be angry. I don't want to be angry. It's not healthy. It's not driving my art. It's not noble to be like, Oh, I need it there because it helps me, you know, be in pain, which creates my art. I don't want that. Like I'd rather just give up making and be a happy person. If it came to that, Mm -hmm. luckily they go hand in hand, but you know, I, I mean, um, Yeah. I mean, I think from just analyzing my thoughts on a daily basis in reaction to actually doing the work has, yeah, for sure, it's changed me into a person that I I enjoy being with, which is myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. If you look back at like your 10-year-old self, do you think that he would, (laughs) like, was there any inkling of you becoming this person today? like with your even your interests your aesthetic sensibilities your the type of curiosity you have was it at all there when you were around that age
1: i don't i don't i don't know i don't i i I don't see it i mean i look at i'm i was not like a child who drew all the time or was like this young artist kid at all at all i think i just was like a weirdo and just started Going out and then it kind of evolved from there. But yeah. I look at no, I, I, that's I interesting don't. to me.
0: I mean, I ask because yeah. I have kids, so I'm like, I, you know, you you think you can see what they're going to become, but I guess you totally fucking can't at all.
1: I, <laughs> and I I notice that like I you know I have all these qual I I do have all of these qualities that like you know I'm an Aries and they're typical. Not that I know anything about astrology, but like let's just say. I I can see the quality, like I can see arrogance and I can see like anger and I could see I have those qualities, but like, I just now am able to work with them so much that they don't really take over and maybe other people will never see them, but they, they do come up, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, if I remember what I was like as a kid, those qualities I I, I probably do have, but I think from my like changing my mind all these years i've been able to kind of cope with them in a much better way that it transformed them really
0: right cool um so look forward now we just look back look forward you know i don't know five five ten years where would you like to see you and your work headed
1: um i would I mean, I I would like to do more movies. I would really like to. I mean, the museum show is a great uh, format. I think for me because it's a lot of teaching of the materials mm-hmm. that has to do with it, and there's a lot of information that goes along with it too. Not that you need it, but it's I like when people know those materials and blah, blah, So I think the museum setting, because it's like a learning setting, it's, it's a really good place for it. So museum shows would be great. I have so many different ideas. I'm working on a clothing line now. Ooh. That's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, when I got all of these, the mudra dresses printed, I had, you know, I was paying per yard. So I had all this extra space in the yardage. So I got all this stuff printed and then I was, I'm making them into clothes. And so I'm making a clothing line that I want to have like, called spirit body and I want to have uh shows and videos with that um but I did the museum show format I mean I loved doing this I'd really like to have that I don't have I mean I never really had I never even was like at the goal of being an artist or showing or I never had that goal at all and I I really never had like almost any goal which is weird to say. And that's why I always feel sort of uncomfortable even calling myself an artist, even though there's no other word for it, but it's just cause I never really like was like, I want to make art. Right. It was just like, I want to make these things.
0: Art sort of just so, happened to you.
1: I, I guess. I, I, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I was just wanted to make clothes and then it became bigger and took it off the body and blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it became sculptural. And, but I um you know, here's where it is now, so in ten years, I mean I'm interested to see where that's gonna go to, but definitely, I would like to do you know fill up museums
0: nice um, are you doing any programs uh like with the Morris Museum associated with this show, like um, are you doing any like lecture series or uh I don't know workshops or anything like that?
1: I did a talk um the beginning of March, I think. March. Yeah, Marsh. And I don't have anything planned yet. We were talking about doing, I do this like uh four, it's like usually three or four hour. Um it's like a meditation lecture series. Mm-hmm. It's called feeding your demons, but I basically give you a glimpse into like, you know, how it it goes through a meditation. It's a visualization meditation. And um then we make work based on the visualization. But um we were we're talking about that, but we, we, I haven't planned anything out okay. with them yet. But I could if people are interested. Yeah,
0: that's very cool. Let yeah. me know if you do set something up. I'll. I'll okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Awesome. I uh, thought I was
1: going to ask you one more
0: thing, and now I cannot remember. But um, yeah, the shows up until July tenth.
1: Yeah, I think July tenth.
0: Right? Yep.
1: Awesome. It'll be at a gallery in Times Square, but it's not the same. We see it in the museum, because the gallery in Times Square, it's not the same format. Oh. It's just uh, kind of different pieces scattered throughout. And and then who knows where? If anybody has any other places to put it, I'm happy to do that, too, afterwards.
0: OK, awesome. Oh, I know what I was going to ask uh, about Spirit Body, the clothing line. Is it something mm-hmm. that's going to be, are you trying to make like multiples of stuff where it's for sort of mass consumption, or are you just doing like one-off pieces?
1: I, I'm doing one-off pieces because i'm making everything now and i want i eventually want it to get there i mean i have an etsy store now that i have all this printed stuff on Mm. um so yeah i I would like to eventually get it there but i have to it's like a big investment kind of of time and energy so i have to like do it one by one and then see where it goes and then kind of continue but yeah for sure i would like to bring it there i want to make um I don't know. I just have these images of videos and shows, and especially doing the H solutions video. I just, I just want to make more videos. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, video runways and stuff like that, but with you know the con, all the concepts behind them. And-
0: okay, well, thank you so much, Eric, for chatting with me. Thank you for just lending your time and and your insight. And I feel like this is a very, um, it's such a great conversation, very intriguing, and I feel like. I need to go do some <laughs> inner work now. And um You know, yeah.
1: I, I never I feel like I'd I almost would never encourage anyone to start, <laughs> but if they're gonna start, do it all the way, you know? Yeah. But I I I do appreciate that. Thank you. And I love the podcast and I'm super happy to be on it.
0: Oh, thank so. you so much. I appreciate it. Um yeah, and you guys uh go see the show if you can, if you're in the tri state, you know, NYC area. Um yeah. All right. Thanks, Derek. I'm sure we'll be seeing you around soon. (laughs) Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on neuromastudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the fiber artist podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.